and welcome back to another exciting episode of Extra Feature. We have a fabulous guest whose new short film is available at the Philadelphia First Glance, if I remember correctly. Or are we in L.A. First Glance? I am right? LA okay, I can't remember. Place. I do so many. L.A. I do so many of these, I forgot. Uh, Claudia Checkmackie is here. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And you're a producer on this film. I think it's the first time I've actually had somebody that didn't really have a lot to do in front of the camera, I guess. You're more behind the scenes. But on a short film, how much of a role does a producer take? You know, it ultimately depends on who brings the material first and honestly, you know, how much the director or writer um, or creator of the material would like the producer to be involved. But in this case, um, I actually was very much involved um, from the get-go. I had met the director prior to her writing um, this short, and we sort of came up with the idea together. She had, you know, a feature version of a script that was written, and we both sort of decided to do a short proof of concept, as you call it, and we kind of drafted, you know, the best sort of scenes and beats and intimate moments um, from the feature version of the script into the short. And then together we casted the movie, we went location scouting together. So I, you know, I was part of the whole thing um, from the get-go, from making sure that it gets from the page to the screen. Okay. Let's, uh, so you were involved with this, from what I understand, before it's even created? So you Yes, I was because of my, right, because of my relationship with the director. Um, we, we have been friends. We were friends from home. We're both from Brazil, born and raised. And when I moved to LA, I knew that she lived here and that we both worked in the industry. And so I decided to, um, hit her up and see if we could connect. And we connected and it was a love fest. And, you know, she was telling me about this idea that she had and wanting to to actually make something and, and get it off the ground. And she asked me if I would be on board to produce it. And I agreed um, just from the get go because I knew her taste would be fabulous. And so we worked on it together. So working on something together, how was that for, is this your first film? Our first, not our first short film. No, no. It's not. Um, it's her first short as a writer-director, but it hadn't been my first short film as a producer. I had done stuff before. So how was working with the first-timer then? Did you have to give her directions on things? She was actually probably the best first-timer that I've worked with, um, to be honest. And I've worked with a few first-timers since. Um, she just has amazing instincts. And I think, you know, where she needs me is wherever I can reinforce that and tell her that her instincts are right. Um, and so I was there to sort of be her sounding board. Um, but other than that, she knew she did her own research. She, you know, didn't need me to hold her hand. Um, you know, it's always a little bit of a, a confidence play. You have to give them enough confidence to, to enable them and empower them to, to feel like they can make this. And um, that's what I was there for. And she just took it in, in stride. She was she was a great first timer. 
Okay, so let's get into the film. Our opening shot, I found, is a very far away shot for short. You're definitely 20 feet away, I would say, at most. And then you kind of zoom in, and it looks like you're even using a filter or maybe using the sun to give me a weird color. And I had, I will honestly say, I wasn't really sure what you were trying to set up. Obviously, by the end of the film, I understand what the opening shot means. But what were you trying to establish there? Like, were you just making me think about it? Because, I mean, you do draw on that concept again and again and again throughout the film. But in the opening shot, you're giving a presence. But there is no presence, I found, this opening shot. It's more makes you think. We were using, you know, throughout the film, we used anamorphic lenses. And we really wanted, at the start of the film, to make sure that this distance was felt with the characters, with, you know, the audience in between the audience and the characters, but also the both characters themselves, you know, they clearly have a very strained relationship and we wanted to sort of call that into attention. Um, but it is interesting that you mentioned that it's sort of, it, it might call too much of your attention and maybe, maybe pulls you out of the movie, um, which is Quite, quite frankly, I agree with you. It is a bold choice for, for a first shot of a movie. Um, but we did want to sort of hit it in the head, at least at the start, because we only had so much time, you know, 15 minutes to, to tell the story. We wanted to really portray that distance and that sort of clinical um, coldness for the characters. Now, you do have two notes on the fridge. One is a grocery list. And one is, I love you, mom. I love you, you're a champ, mom, or something like that. I mean, I think that kind of gives away the film part of it. But I thought the shopping list was kind of funny, because I really didn't see by the end of the film those two characters shopping. They did, obviously, throughout the film. but Yeah, I mean, you you do see the dad shopping. Um, but, you know, I think we had a lot of conversations going back and forth as to whether the note felt too on the nose. I think ultimately it's a decision whether, you know, do you trust your audience to get it and do you not trust your audience to get it? I think when we were showing it to a few people before, you know, it even went out and before we submitted it to festivals, um, you know, we had asked them, did you understand that, spoiler alert for anyone hearing this, um, she's dead. Um, did you understand that, that the mom was, was dead and a few of them didn't. And that really worried us. We were concerned. Really? So yeah. So that's why we kind of, we kept that decision to, to keep the note because we were worried that people were not going to get it otherwise. Um, so there you go. That's where I'm a stickler for details. Who wrote the notes? Um, that's it. Oh, our production designer did. I, I'm sorry. I'm going to ask you these bizarre questions because I always want to know. Love that. I'm going to have okay. to think back. I do. Um, I couldn't decide whether it was a house or an apartment. I decided on a house. Was I wrong? Nope. It was a house. I the it only was, way it I was a two story house. I thought so because the way you shoot the fridge and the light coming through, it looked like a porch behind you. So that's yes. the only thing I could think of. I'm like, it's got to be a house shot. So whose house was it? It was, um, if I remember correctly, the platform that we used was 
VRBO, I want to say, but it was a, you know, a random person's house in VRBO who rents the house for shooting for filming purposes. So, you know, that's always helpful because you don't want to, you don't want to rent a location that doesn't really have an experience with film shoots. Um, and she did, um, quite a lot actually. And so it was in Glendale, um, in LA, we shot it in LA. Um, and it was a quiet, honestly, it was a quite a perfect house for, for filming. It had a lot of space, set up space and whatnot. Yeah, I'm going to get into a lot of my location idea. The artist studio, it's not the same house. I would argue, no, it's not. It didn't is. look right. It is. is. Okay, it is. And it's actually, I'll give you one thing else. I'll give you a little secret. It's the same room that the husband and wife are in bed at. It's their bedroom. Did, did you take the bed out? We didn't need to because the room was so massive. Okay. It had so much negative space that we just kind of cheated with the 180. And the grocery store? That was a real grocery store in LA. Um, it sort of serves like Latino um, snacks or whatnot um, in Culver City, actually, called El Camagüey. It has great stuff. And yeah, that was an overnight shoot. Um, that was our last day. And I do have a question about the swimming pool. Do you want me to get into the whole scene now? Or, oh, I guess we'll do it. Where's the swimming pool? The swimming pool was a public. No, actually, no. It was a it was a private swimming uh, swimming pool center in Larchmont. I want to say we looked at a lot of pools. The pool was actually the hardest location to to find. Um, and you know, the one that made sense and that fit within the director's vision and had all of the accommodations that we needed. Um, but it was, it was one, I think in, in, Ho in Hollywood or a large mont, I want to say. Okay. I'm going to jump to the swimming pool scene. Cause I just brought it up. Now you start off the scene, you have a bunch of extras in it. I would say like, you just shoot that opening scene and they all go. Now, are they part of a swimming club or did you hire these people or are you at a meet? I had all these questions while I was watching it. So that scene um, was really funny <laughs> the day that we shot it. That was, I think, I want to say our third or fourth day. It was a five um, day shoot. And I think we were, you know, halfway almost towards the end of the shoot. And it was a full day at the pool. And we had, so we had, I think two of those swimmers were extras that, um, you know, we hired for the purposes of swimming. They needed to be swimmers. They needed to know how to swim. And we hired them for that purpose. Um, we hired three of them, but one of them didn't show up. So it was just two. And then the third one to make up for it on the day, because they, you know, didn't show up, wouldn't pick up their phone, whatnot. It happens. Um, we got one of our PAs to sort of sub as yeah. um, one of the swimmers. Um, and he was a trooper, honestly, because he was not expecting that coming into to work that day, but he did. And then the another swimmer um, who was in the shot was actually one of the instructors at the at the center um, who was there. So we kind of borrowed, borrowed him for that scene as well. Because I always want to know, how many times did you have to shoot them jumping off the podium? So many. At the end of the day, they were all 
red over here because they just couldn't jump anymore. I, I felt so bad for them, but we got it, you know. Um, but it was a it was a tough day. Now, you also switch when we switch uh, the scene to the main actors there in the pool at this point. How low did you take those lights? Or again, are you color correcting at the end of the film? Like, I wasn't sure. Because it looks like you brought the lights down, but again, you're switching that filter on me again on the camera. And it looks like yeah, you're adding did. color. We did bring them down. We added color for the effect of, of you know, the flashback purposes because we yes. wanted to distinguish what was the flashback and what was present day. Um, so that was the reasoning also behind the, the color correction as well. So when you were color correcting, did you... Like you, is this something you were after by producing the film, or the director was was really playing with color and not subtly? Like you're definitely enforcing it on the viewer. Yeah, I mean, do you are you asking as a producer how how involved was I, or just in terms both. of decisions behind the color correction? Both. That's perfect okay. answer. Both. As I mean, as a producer, I obviously helped with the hiring, but when it came to, you know what saturation and, and what brightness and what amount of contrast we would use on the present day timeline versus the, the past day versus the past timeline. Um, I would oversee and I would help the director, the sort of sounding board. Is this okay? Do you agree? Do you approve? But ultimately the director was very, was totally hands-on on, on that department. And her reasoning behind it was, you know, wanting to have, a softer hue for the the past timeline, um, especially because the mom, um, Carol, is sort of the heart of the movie. She sort of represents, she gives off this warmth um, and this, there's a softness to her. Even the actress has a, a bit of a softness to her. And so we really wanted to capture that with the past timeline. And for the present, we wanted it to be a bit colder, a bit more... Um, subdued, um, you know, lots of greens, lots of blues. Um, so that was the reasoning behind that. I also and wanted... red was also, sorry, just to add red was always the color that was sort of break, um, the palette. So I don't know if you can tell, but he had a, a red shirt, um, that he would keep on and we would always sort of keep it in, in the frame. Um, so we would have, you know, this warm color that would eventually break, break the tone a little bit. Were you really trying to make the dad character unlikable all the time? Like I never found a time I enjoyed his company or nor wanted it. Did you not feel bad for him? No, I think he made his own choices. Huh? Interesting. I don't, we didn't plan to make a, a, you know, an unlikable character. I think we were trying to show a broken character and in the feature version. And I think, you know, this really informs as well how the director and I see the characters compared to how someone who's just watching the short might see the characters because we know the full arc that they're going on. And, you know, we, we know much more than what we see in the short. And so, I was able to live with that character for, for much longer. And I know where it comes from. I know that he's trying, you can see that he's trying to do his best. You know, he talks about doing that dinner for mom. You can see he's trying, you can see that he's going to the grocery store to buy those ingredients to make that dinner for mom. 
but he just ultimately can't do it. You know, he's, he's an alcoholic. He yes. can't go through it. Um, I think you've definitely saying, I do want to discuss, you shoot the car seat. They're driving at the beginning of the car. And I'm convinced it's on a flatbed. Like, I don't think it's moving. I did notice you trying to play with the background to get the thing. I'm like, no, they definitely shot that twice. Oh, you're going to have to help me out here. Did you shoot it twice? Or it's a flatbed? I was trying to figure it out. We did shoot it twice, but it's not a it's not a flatbed. We so we shot it twice, not for the reason that you think we shot it twice. We shot it twice because the director didn't think that we had the shot the first day that we got it. But we actually ended up using the shot from the first day, so we didn't even count, you know, the the extra half day that we used. But it was um it was a a, a car process trailer that we used. We used a process trailer. We had cops closing the street so uh-huh. it was an actual real street um and we had them close for for intermittent traffic for two minutes and then we'd go around and then stop let the cars pass and then our cops would close again we'd run it through so that was a, so that was it, a long day is it an edited shot or is it all one take in that shot it's all one take okay because you're so tight on the car and I was trying to figure out why the reason we're so tight. I mean, obviously well, you want the closeness to get the conversation. I understood that part. But I was right. getting sidetracked by the back, and I kept watching the car move. And I'm like, what am I missing here? I mean, it did go pretty slow, right? I mean, obviously yes. we went slow because acting and whatnot. So I, if you really pay attention, if you're a detailed viewer, viewer, which you definitely are, you will realize that they're moving at, I don't know, five miles an hour. Um, well, that's why I was but, confused, right? Because I kept seeing the back and it wasn't going fast enough. So I was wondering if you edited the scenery behind in after you shot it. I was trying to figure out what. So that's why you're no, moving no, too slow was- for me. Yeah, it was all real. You know, I was the one driving the the car in front um, with the director, with, you know, the first AC, everyone inside the car. Um, And we were guiding them as as they shot it. And we kept tight, um, I think, mostly because of, honestly, our permit constraints, because there's just so many different permits if you attach the camera outside the car versus inside the car. And so it was mostly a sort of a logistical question. Okay. I did finally have that opening shot. And I want to move to when we first meet the dad in the bedroom. You definitely brighten up the film at that point, I think. I definitely think you do a normalized shot, I will say, with no filter on them. It was kind of like a reality check for me. I'm like, oh, we're in a different world now. Was that the plan? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it's supposed to be that jarring, but the the room that we used for his bedroom had a lot of natural light. And if I remember correctly, we only blocked off a stretch of that. It was honestly all, it was like three-quarter walls of glass in that bedroom. So it, it just came off as a lot of natural light. I think, honestly, that's the biggest reason as to why it probably felt so bright to you. Um, but yeah, there there was also no filter. The Whereas the first shot had a filter on, this one did not have it. Um, and so that might also be, be a reason for that. Yeah, I want to go back to the artist studio. Who did the paintings? 
so we have it was a, it was a mix um but most of the paintings uh came from a friend of ours in Santa Barbara who is an artist slash painter and you know who we called and asked if she would be willing to donate for a, for a short period of time some of her artwork for us um for the shoot and so we went over me and the director we drove over to Santa Barbara and we went to her studio and we kind of we picked and chose the ones that we feel like made sense or you know spoke to us and and um we just kind of got curated this collection and and brought it home with us I do have a question about the truck I couldn't tell cuz I only really get one good shot of the truck Is it an old truck or a new truck I was thinking old but I wasn't positive It's an old truck it's a it's a vintage I think it's 90s I want to say Okay so where did that come from Um that was a very uh active and uh you know uh it was a very active and um targeted decision from the director because she really wanted in her head he was driving a red pickup truck um or a maroon pickup truck whatever that was um but that was you know the idea that she had in her head and it's what she wanted again it's it's the red i think red signifies um a little bit of it's his color um it breaks a little bit with the blue and the green hues that we have with the movie um so we kind of went on a witch hunt after you know a red pickup car that would fit within our budget there were some yellow ones some green ones um that we were flirting with but ultimately the director shot them down and she said i needed to be red and i wanted to be vintage because i feel like it's muscular i feel like it speaks to the character you know he's he's old and stubborn and he he's stuck in his ways and um you know that was that was the decision behind it and quite frankly i think it was you know the shot of the supermarket when the car is parked outside um i think it's a beautiful shot it is Okay, last thing I want to go over music. Use the same song, I think a two or three times. And then you abruptly change to something totally different for the last two musical cues. Why is that? So, that song um Shining Star, I think we played it twice. Um but I don't know, correct Maybe me if three. I'm wrong. We okay. played it two, once. two for sure. Yeah, 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 we played it once in the car um in the radio. Um and then the other time in the supermarket uh sort of yeah the supermarket uh microphone or whatever it is um um and yeah and and the idea behind it is that shining star was their song um you know his and his wife's and you know that's why when he listens to it in the car it sparks his memory um the flashback of when they're in bed together one of their last conversations um and we just thought it was sort of a fun callback to have it in the supermarket playing um behind it um we were it was a, a decision we again we went back and forth on this because we did ask ourselves you know how realistic would that be first of all and b is that too on the nose like are we just hitting people over the head with it but ultimately we thought we thought it was fun and we and we decided to you know 
throw reason off the window and just kind of keep that song. Um, it's such a beautiful song and we felt like, you know, it was a, it was a smart use of it. Um, the second time around. And as for the other, as for the other, you know, musical score, that was actually an original score composition. We hired, um, a composer to, to come in and compose all of that. That was, um, that was a process. Um, it took us a while to, to get it right. Um, you know, I think at first we were looking for something more orchestral, very string oriented. And then we realized that the more minimalistic, the better. And we liked the way that the piano sounded, you know, the synth the synthesizers, um, a little bit of the violin, but overall something much more subdued. I think, you know, a small thing does wonders for, for a movie, a small sort of soundtrack does wonders for, for emotion. And, um, that was, you know, our reasoning behind it. And we had a lot of references to, to pull from. Okay. I'm going to move on to fun questions. I think I've covered everything in the film. I think I did pretty good. You did. I, you did great. If, you if I think missed something, did. feel free to point it out to me, but I don't think I did. I kind of left the plot out for you. No, oh, I, you're, I, yeah, I did. Your first time on the show, so I need your favorite film. Just one? That's impossible. You can give me five. I'm not fussy. Okay. Um, Wrecking for a Dream, Her, Lost in Translation, Seven Days in Heaven, and oh god oh god oh god oh god ah most recent movie i watched that i loved poor things there you go you know what it's funny watching your film those all make sense to me <laughs> really yeah i can see bits of things especially flattering to I, me i definitely see Room in your film no doubt about it um, well, you've already answered the last question. A favorite film of 2023 would be Poor Things, I guess, since you just said it. Okay, I have another. I had I had a few, actually. Um, okay. The Zone of Interest. The only one I have yet to see, but it's on my list for this week. If I wasn't doing this, I probably oh. would be watching Zone of Interest. So it's coming. Hopefully by uh, Friday, I'll be I'm done. sorry about that. You should watch it. <laughs> it's the last one. I've seen all the other ones. Um, one film you always recommend to people. Oof. Um, one film I always recommend to people. Oh, everybody Good has time. one. Oh, okay. I know what you're talking about. I've seen it. Um, and then this is my last question I haven't asked in a long time. What, your favorite movie snack? My favorite movie what? Sorry. Snack? What do you bring to the movies to eat? Popcorn. Always. Okay, thank you for your time. Tell everybody where they can find your movie and anything else you would like them to find. Uh, you can find our movie at First Glance Film Festival in LA. Um, otherwise, we are still seeking for distribution. And you can follow me on Instagram at C-A-C-A-U-C-H-A-K-M-A-T-I. Kakao Chakmati. That's me. Thank you so much and have a great evening. Thank you so much.